compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Stephen Albee. I am so excited to be here with you guys this morning. I'm so thankful that you can uh, gather with us together as we worship the Lord. What I want to speak on today is something that is really near and dear to my heart. It's something um, I am grateful, as much as I love to preach as part of series, I am thankful for my position that allows me to preach um, the standalone kinds of sermons because it gives me an opportunity, really, to share with you guys what's on my heart at that very moment. Um, This is something that uh, I need to hear constantly, and they always say that uh, you should preach to yourself first, and that's kind of what's happening. So really, you guys are going to be with me as I tell you all the things that I also need to do and all of the things that God has been pouring on me, and hopefully, through that, you might get something that the Lord is doing in you as well. So, a couple weekends ago, I actually had the opportunity to go on a retreat in Colorado, and I love Colorado, I'm from there, and this was up in the mountains, but the thing is, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily going to be like this, you know, going up there and, and hanging out and uh, restful time, it was for a board meeting, I helped start a ministry in Denver a few years ago, and I'm still on the board of directors there, and I honestly feared that this was going to be just an extended board meeting. I thought this was going to be three days where we did nothing but talk about budgets and talk about gala themes and, and everything else. And thank God I was wrong. This retreat was not about what we do as a board. This wasn't about thinking about our logo or anything else that we are going over. But actually, this retreat was what I had hoped it would be but didn't think it was going to be. It was about our lives and our ministry. It was getting a chance to get to know one another and making sure that we were staying connected to Christ as a board. Because in order to lead our lives well, in order to lead in ministry, to see any growth in the Christian life, really, we must first abide in Christ. Now I have to give credit to the people who led this retreat. Their name is John and Michelle Santaferraro. So much of what I give to you, I received from them. Now today, I want to start this conversation in you or maybe reignite it in you. Some of you may be abiding in the Lord right now. Maybe you have your routines in place and you're experiencing a season of incredible fruit and I want to encourage that. But maybe if you're like me, you're experiencing a time right now of maybe a little bit less fruit. Or maybe the word doesn't fire you up as much as it used to. Or maybe you're wondering if you're still connected to Christ or what you can do to reconnect. Maybe you're distracted. Maybe it's easy to connect to so many other things. My friends, I hope in this sermon you'll find as I found, which is the word of life. I hope that you find the encouragement and the invitation found in these words. Now this is not something that I can be as comprehensive in as I want to be. This is something that is going to take days and years and I don't have that much time, unfortunately. This is something that is merely going to be to start the conversation because it is everywhere in scripture. Instead of using the entire Bible as our text today, I figure we'll narrow it down And the best picture we are given for abiding is a picture Jesus gives us. It's in John 15, verses 1 through 10. Now, as you search there in your Bible, it's also going to be on the screens. It's also in your bulletin. We want to make sure that no matter where you look, you see God's word. But I also want to let you know, too, that if you don't have a Bible to call your own, take that one that's in the pew in front of you. Take that home, enjoy it, love it. And one caveat, though, I give the same caveat to all of our youth when we give them Bibles, is that if you take it with you, please read it. Like, actually use it. 
And we want you to read it so much that if the pages start to fall out or if the cover starts to break, that you come back and we'll give you a new one. We want you to be in the Word as often as you can. But as you turn and as you find that scripture, I want to talk a little bit about this word abide. This is a word we don't use very much. This is a word that is, it seems kind of an older word or it seems like one of those biblical words that gets used, but we don't necessarily know what it means. And I love this word. It comes from the Greek word meno and it carries this whole range of meaning. It means to be connected to something, to be rooted in it, to be firmly established and to hold on to something. But what I love even more about this word is there's the subtle connotation. As much as it is about a person rooting themselves and, and holding on to something, there's this other aspect that is being held on to. It says that it's not all of your work. It's not just you that are doing all the work to hold on, to abide, to connect. But when you connect, when you abide, you're being held on to also. Maybe the easiest way to think about this is it's like a hug. Who doesn't love a hug? Now, would a hug be incredibly awkward? Maybe you guys have done this sometime where you go in for a hug and you grip on real tight and the other person doesn't hug you back. Like, it's super awkward. And then you're kind of like, all right, do I, do I continue hugging? Maybe if you're like me, you're like, forget it. I'm a hugger and you just, you hold on tight, you grip. They're trying to struggle and get away and it doesn't matter. But no, this, a hug would be incredibly awkward if only one person was holding on, right? No, for a hug to feel right, for a hug to be right, both parties have to hold on to one another. And if one person lets go before the other, then it gets awkward again, right? That's what abiding is. It's like a hug. You're both holding on to one another. If you hold on to Christ, he holds on to you. I want you to keep this meaning in mind as we dive into our text and listen to this word abide as we read. John uses it often in his, um, in his letters, but he uses it a, a lot in this passage. So starting in John 15, verses 1 through 10, we read this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments, and abide in his love." Now in this parable, we have three characters. And what I love about parables is that there's always like this surface level meaning that seems, oh yeah, I get it, you know, connect to Jesus. But then there's always these underlying meanings that I love to dive into. And with this, I think we see it in each character. The characters we have are the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. So I'm gonna see how many of you are awake here. Who is the vine? Christ, yes, this is where the Sunday school answer actually applies. Jesus, Jesus is the vine. Now what I find interesting is that Jesus says here that he is the true vine, which must mean that there are also false vines. This concept of vines and branches has actually been around for a long time. Even in Isaiah chapter five, God speaks of Israel being a vine. He says this, he says, let me sing for my beloved, my song, love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. 
He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, O men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do in my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. It will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. You see, my friends, Jesus knows that his hearers would have been familiar with this passage. There would have been a lot of people listening to him that may have been relying on their heritage as Israelites to be the vine, saying, oh, I don't need to grow. I don't need anything else because as a native Israelite, I am one of God's chosen people. I don't need to grow. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, no, you are connected to the wrong thing. He is saying that you look at Israel, Israel was not the true vine because look at its fruit. What it yielded was not good. What it, it was wild. It was sour. The grapes would not be useful for anything. You see, you're connected to the wrong thing. Jesus is saying here that Israel may have been a vine, but it wasn't the true vine. And the reason he's calling himself the true vine is because he alone is the source of life. And he alone is the only thing we can connect to to bear any fruit whatsoever. Not our heritage, not our history, not our race, not what we have done None of these things that so often, not just ancient Israelites, but we today put our hope and our faith in. Jesus is saying that those things are not going to produce what God desires to produce in you. What he is saying is that only I, Jesus, as the true vine, will produce what you want. And we see that Jesus is the vine here. But now he also speaks of a vine dresser. So who is the vine dresser in the passage? God, God the Father. You guys are quick. I like this. You must have gotten some coffee this morning. Now, what is a vine dresser? Those of you who are not familiar with growing tons and tons of grapes may not understand everything that is inherent in this, but I love what a vine dresser does. It's someone who cares deeply for the branches and for the vine. This person knows exactly where to prune and at what time, how it can grow best, and when it should bear fruit. And I think this is interesting because they know the plant so intimately that sometimes a certain branch may not produce fruit for years. And the reason this is, is because the vine dresser needs to make sure that the branch is firmly connected to the vine. This happens sometimes where a branch connected to the vine may have a weak connection and it produces fruit and then that fruit starts to get heavy and it gets heavier and heavier and then it actually causes the branch to break. It causes the branch to fall away and the vine dresser will go along and make sure that that connection is strong. We'll go and make sure that the branch is ready for fruit and we'll make sure that the fruit that gets cultivated is correct. And it might be in some of us right now, I think this is a way that this analogy can apply, is that some of us may not be seeing fruit because God might be pruning us. He might be making sure that our connection is solid because you give some, like I know even in my life, you give someone too much fruit, too much blessing, too much uh, responsibility too early, and they can literally break under the weight. And we see that here, in this idea of a vine dresser, we see that God the Father guides the vine. God the Father directs. God the Father knows how the vine and the branches are connected together. And he establishes those connections and he makes sure they're strong. Now let's look at the branches. Who are the branches here? They're us. Each and every one of us is a branch. Now what is the only job of the branch? And I love this. 
The branch, notice, does not produce fruit. You'll notice the branch, too, does not necessarily create the way to produce fruit. All the branch does is abide. All the branch's job is, is to remain in, to hold on to, and be firmly established in the vine and allow the vine dresser to direct and prune it. In John 15, Jesus shares that he is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, we are the branches. And our only job is to produce fruit. In fact, we can't produce fruit unless we're connected to Christ. How many of us have tried to go along saying that we can run without being connected to Christ? Or maybe we pray a little bit and we say, okay, we're good, like we run on batteries. But that's not the case here. We cannot run apart from Jesus. We must stay firmly established in the vine, and that is our only job. It's the one thing we are called to do here. Now, I truly believe that God wants to produce as much of his fruit in us as possible, and sometimes that does require pruning. But when we abide in him, when we stay connected to him, he will show us what needs to be cut away and needs to be cultivated. He may even show evidence of his working in ways we never even expected, but the closer we are to him, the better we will understand this. Now as we read further into this passage, we see that the branches that do not produce fruit are cut away, gathered up, and burned. And while this can be kind of disconcerting for us, I want to give an idea of why, like, this seems harsh, but let me explain why this happens in a vineyard. When a branch fails to produce fruit and it falls to the ground, something interesting happens. And I think this is so key to how we are as people. When this branch falls to the ground, it actually will start to try to grow on its own. What it'll do, it'll actually start to try to dig down into the ground and it'll, it'll firmly establish itself into whatever it can and it tries to grow. But the problem is, is that it's not in its genetic capability to produce fruit. The branch cannot produce fruit on its own, remember. It has to be connected to the vine. But if it tries to root itself in something else, it's going to grow. It's going to leach all of the nutrients away from the rest of the plant and it basically becomes a weed. Now, how true is this? In our lives, does this sound familiar to anyone else, or is this just me? Could just be me. But how many times do we try to root ourselves in something other than Christ in hopes that it'll produce a certain fruit? How many of us try to get through our career the respect and the prestige that we so desire? Or maybe we root ourselves in our finances, hoping that those finances will provide the security we desperately long for. Maybe we go to relationship to relationship to try to get acceptance. Or maybe we rely on something we own or something we have done or who we are or heritage in order to get that identity that we want. My friends, none of these things can produce the fruit that Jesus wants for us. None of these things can produce what Jesus is talking about here and we search for infinite things to try to find what only Jesus can provide. And when Jesus is telling us to abide here, it means not only for us to connect to him, but it means we need to disconnect from so many other things that we're trying to get what only he can provide. Not only will they not produce what God desires for us, but my friends, they can cause incredible damage to us and even the people around us. Now, in order to keep the vine and the branches healthy, the vine dresser has to gather up all those branches that aren't connected and take them away. Now, this is where this analogy is a little bit different than the way God works, and I want you guys to hear this, because some have taken this passage and said, oh, as soon as a person disconnects, they immediately are away from God's presence, and they will immediately go and be burned. They've taken it to be very salvific, and it's different in Scripture. What we see is that, yes, in the last days, it's true. We've been talking about this in our sermon, you know, sermon series on the afterlife. 
But it is true that in the last days that those who aren't connected to the vine, that is all those who don't place their hope in Christ alone for their salvation, whose names aren't written in the book of life, will be separated from God's presence forever. However, as long as there's breath in a person's lungs, there's still hope for them to be connected again. As long as someone is able to establish back into the vine, they have the invitation to be. No one is too far off as long as there's still life within them. There might be some people in this room right now who think that they have gone so far away from God that they can't return, and that is false. No matter what you have done in your life, you can come back to the vine. You can be reestablished, even if it seemed like you were so deeply connected, or maybe we have a friend or a family member that seemed so connected, so close to Christ, and then all of a sudden something happened in their life, or whatever it is, and they are now away from him. As long as there's breath in their lungs, as long as they can see and hear, as long as they can cognitively process, it is not too late for them. My friends, may this analogy not scare us, may it motivate us. May it motivate us to go into the places where people are far from God and tell them it's never too late. That the offer of salvation is available for all who will come and accept it. As long as they have life in them. Now, I do absolutely love this analogy. I absolutely love how Jesus takes this thing that people would see every single day and says, this is what life is like. In fact, I wonder sometimes if Jesus actually created grapevines to act this way. So that thousands of years later, he can come back and be like, hey, disciples, look at something I established for a thousand years so I can show you exactly what the kingdom of God is like. And I hope this passage stirs your heart like it does mine. When I studied this on this retreat, I honestly had to face about whether or not I was abiding. And for a pastor to say, you know what, I may not be as connected to the word as I should be. And when people around me who have other jobs who are so incredibly busy, uh, you know, CFOs and and other things who are on this board were, were schooling me in how they abide compared to how I was, it was convicting. And I'm just gonna be totally honest with you guys. It was very amazing for me to see how it's my job to abide. Part of my job description is to do this, and yet, so often, it gets distracting, and I hope that you guys can see that in me and not feel alone. And I hope you can see that in me and know that you're not the only one that may feel separated from Jesus at different times. You may not be the only one who feels like God's word may not take on that same fire that it once had. And my friends, it's the same as it is for you as it is for me that God's invitation to abide is always there. It's amazing what happens when we do abide. And it's amazing what happens when we finally connect again. And it's amazing to me because we see we have one job, abide. And yet, for so many of us, it's incredibly difficult. We have trouble maintaining this connection, myself included. So I want to go through some things that the Lord has given me as I've studied this word as God has brought me into his, into his word, as hopefully before I preach on abiding, he has allowed me time to abide. And I want to share some of these things with you. So, I mean, how do we abide? How do we connect to Christ? We see that we should. We see that it is incredibly beneficial for us. So how do we do it? Honestly, the best way is through the written word that the Lord gives us, through this wonderful book called the Bible. And the thing is, so many of us, the Bible might become something that we just check off. I know that's, that's my problem with having uh, read through the Bible in a year reading plans, is that I'm like, all right, I just need to read through all of the Old Testament today because I skipped so many days. And it becomes just this checkoff, and I read through it so quickly that I don't let 
the word really speak. But what's interesting is that there are actually two words in the New Testament that are translated as word, and they have distinct meanings. And I think we need to understand both of these to really get what the Lord wants to have us get in his word. The first, logos, most of you might be familiar with this. This is God's written word in scripture. But it's also used to refer to Jesus, who is the living word. But then there's another word called rhema. And this word is the active voice of the Lord. This is the active speaking voice where God will illuminate a certain text at a certain time. Or maybe this is when God says, you need to read this. Or maybe as you're reading through your Bible, all of a sudden something just clicks. That is how God uses this word, which is living and active, and brings it to the forefront of our mind. I mean, have you ever heard something in a sermon that seemed like it was directly related to you? As much as I would love to take credit for that, I don't sit here and think, oh, this person needs to hear this, this person needs to hear this, this person needs to hear this. It's the active speaking voice of the Lord saying, pay attention to this. That was God's active rhema voice speaking directly to your heart. Now here's an example. Many years ago I was preaching, and I couldn't tell you even the subject I was preaching on, but all I know is that I said throughout preaching that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God, that he has not changed. And what I thought was just this kind of throwaway comment because I couldn't tell you how it was connected. I, couldn't, I honestly could not tell you right now if it was even in my manuscript. But afterwards, this lady comes up to me and says, that was exactly what I needed to hear. And when I asked her a little bit further, she said, I always thought that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament were somehow different. I never studied the Old Testament because I thought he was a vengeful and spiteful God. And then somehow when Jesus came along, God changed. She had no idea that the whole Old Testament was pointing toward Jesus. And through this one, what I thought was a throwaway comment, God illuminated the whole first half of the book of the Bible to her. I had opportunity to talk with her more and more afterward, and she said that God was showing her his gospel through every one of these pages that she all, so often skipped because she thought that something was different. And as much as I would love to take credit for that, I can't. Like I said, it wasn't even in my manuscript. It wasn't even something that I thought was going to be impactful to somebody, but because of God using my voice to ignite something in someone else, this woman now has a greater appreciation for the whole word of scripture. And what's great is that God does this all the time. He doesn't just do this at isolated instances. He doesn't just do this through preachers either. He does this in scripture with King David. Here's another example. When David writes in the Psalms, in 119 verse 11, when he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. He was talking about God's written word of the law, yes, but he was not talking about simple memorization. Because David knew the law backwards and forwards, but when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, it wasn't his written word, it wasn't the word that he had memorized that convicted him, it was Nathan who came alongside and said, look at what you have done. It was Nathan that pointed him to the word. And you see how God uses both the written word and that guiding word, the speaking voice, to bring things together. Now, when we abide in God's word and we allow him to speak through it, change happens. We see that in both of these examples. And I'm sure if, if asked, many of you would have an example similar to this. I know it can be easy to read your Bible and then immediately go on to the next thing. I know it can be easy that when we pray to bring God our list of demands and our list of things that we wish he would do, and then as soon as we finish speaking, we go off into the next task. My friends, abiding is not another thing to add to your to-do list, but is the only way you can actually accomplish everything on that list. 
I'm going to say that again. Abiding is not another thing to add to your to-do list, but it is the only way that you can accomplish everything on that list. What we see in our passage here is that Jesus says that apart from him, you can do what? Some things? A couple of things? No, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So with that, I want to leave you with some steps to guide you as you start this process. I want to invite you to start applying this into your life. I want this to connect for you tomorrow. I don't want you to get so fired up today and then have nothing to do tomorrow. I want you to abide in the Lord. So first, we're going to look at a passage in Colossians that shows us that connecting always results in fruit. This is how you know if you're abiding and how to guide yourself as you do this. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Because some of you may be wondering, how do I know if I'm hearing God's voice and not someone else's? This verse is a great indicator. Does what you hear result in wisdom? I don't know about you, but I get a ton of messages every single day from thousands of different sources, and very few of them result in wisdom. Very few of them result in wise decision-making and wise living. So if you're trying to figure out if God is telling you something through a passage or through something he continues to bring up over and over again in your mind, ask yourself, is this telling me to live wisely, or is this telling me to do something stupid and out of line with God's character? It's a pretty good indicator as to whether or not it's from the Lord. Another way to tell if you're abiding in God's word is that it results in worship. Now, worship isn't just something we do on Sunday mornings. And I have to just say real quick, wasn't that great worship this morning? I was so fired up to see all of the students up here worshiping the Lord together. But worship is something that is all of our life. Have you ever read something in God's word and it just it resulted in song? I don't know if you guys are, are like this. Maybe I'm, again, I'm just the weird one that I'll be listening to worship music or something as I'm going for a walk and all of a sudden, God will just have me just raise my hands in the middle of walking around. And yeah, you guys might see me. As I'm walking along, you know, I'll just be raising my hand, being like praising the Lord because what I've just heard results in worship. Maybe it's not that same thing, but have you ever read the word of the Lord and all of a sudden your anxiety's gone? Or maybe you just feel joy and you feel filled with the spirit of the Lord that tells you that things are going to be okay even if they don't seem like it. Now how many of you have heard other messages or have tried to abide in other things that result in the opposite of that? That depress you? That maybe hinder your joy? Now while the word of the Lord might be convicting and might, it might give us things that are hard to hear, ultimately it'll always result in worship. And finally, from this passage, what we see also is that the word of the Lord results in thankfulness. Now again, I don't know why I follow social media, I still do, but there are so many times where I'll be reading things and I'm like, I'm not thankful I heard that. I didn't need to hear that. I didn't need to know that a friend of mine is having a really difficult day or a really dramatic time, but yet what I see is when the word of the Lord comes into those situations, it always results in thankfulness. There are times where at first I'm like, oh, why, Lord, did you burden me with this information? And God is like, I did it so that you would pray for this person. I did it so you would care for this person. I did it so that you would abide for them and point them to me. Even if God's word may be hard to hear in the moment or may be incredibly convicting to you, once it's done its work, it'll always result in thankfulness. So next, in order to connect to Christ, that means we also have to disconnect from other things, and that means saying no even to good things. 
James 1.21 says this, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with weakness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What this passage reminds us is that in order to connect to Christ and receive the work that he wants to do in and through us, we must disconnect from other things. Now these are strong words here. We have filthiness, rampant wickedness. We know, by and large, if you've been around the church or if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that these are things that you should probably disconnect from. But yet, honestly, these are not the most dangerous things for us. These aren't even the most dangerous things because on some level we all know that we should go away from bad things. However, what distracts us most are the good things when they're done apart from God. My friends, your job is a good thing. Your hobbies are good things. Television can be a good thing. Work in the church, relationships, whatever it is, they can be great things. But the problem is, is when these good things become what are called God things. When these good things become what you go to to get what only God himself can provide. Tim Keller has a whole book on this. It's called Counterfeit Gods. And in the Bible, they refer to these things as idols. You'll notice so often idols aren't the little figurines that we sit and we worship. They're the good things that we go to get what only God can provide us. In order to do any of the things in the way God wants them done, we must abide in God and God alone first. And it'll be amazing how often we go and we do that. But again, this can be difficult because all of those good things, all of those other things that we've gone to can establish connections in us. And that's where we go into our final uh, help that, we're, that we have here. You need to allow God's word to do its work and don't rush the process. And the reason I say this is because every time I think about abiding, I pray to the Lord, God, take away everything in me that keeps me from you. And so often God likes to work through a really slow process. I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe, I mean, he has his reasons, but I think it actually has to do with what is in this word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now for all of us, really, there are things in us that we have connected to, that we have established ourselves on, that we have maybe put so much hope and trust in that there are things, I mean, there are things that God needs to cut away, and this can be very painful and slow, and it feels like nothing is being accomplished, but here's probably why, at least in, I've noticed this in me. God's work has to be slow so we can handle it. As much as I have prayed that God would just cut away all these things in my life, I am very thankful that he goes through a process. So think of it this way. Have any of you had to remove a vine or ivy from your yard? Yeah, a couple of you. It is very slow work, and it's very frustrating work. I had to do this at my parents' house once. This one ivy had grown through everything. And instead of being that nice, patient person, I was 16, which, let's face it, 16-year-old boys are not very patient. And I was going through, and I was kind of snipping it, and I was trying to find out where it was. I'm like, forget it. I am tired of this. I'm just going to use my strength, and I'm going to get it out of here. So I wrapped that vine around my arm, and I just pulled. And it got rid of the vine. But the problem is, it also got rid of some branches. And it got rid of a few other plants. And a whole lot of dirt came up. Because that vine was woven in and amongst and connected to every little thing. And I wonder, my friends, if it's the same thing with us and the things that God wants to cut away. If he just pulled, it would be amazing for each of us to see how much was connected to even the bad things in our lives. 
God's word has to be precise, cutting through the connections that sin has made in our thinking, in our personalities, in our relationships, in our identity, because if he didn't take his time and he just pulled, all of those things would get uprooted too. And God, isn't this amazing? God loves us so much to even take his time in our sin, to allow us to understand how much we have put upon these things and take them away slowly so that we can continue to connect to him and it won't kill us. Every time we see God take the junk of our sinful life away, we see how much we had connected to it. We see how much we relied on it and little by little we can start connecting those things back to him but it has to be a process. It can be slow and difficult but what I love about God is that he always completes what he starts. It says in Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So what now? My friends, this is just an overview. I haven't even scratched the surface of what God does through his word. But the key here is to take small steps. The key here is to allow God's word to work. Maybe once you've read some of the Bible, take a couple of minutes after you finish that passage to just sit in silence. Silence is such a commodity these days. Silence is one of the most wonderful and precious things if we allow it to work. When you pray, maybe take some time after you bring God your list to listen. How many of us listen for the Lord to tell us, to point to different things in our prayer. Maybe for some of you, it's writing things down as God brings them to mind, write them down. Look for things that God brings up over and over again. I can't tell you how often I'll read something in God's word and then I'll hear it in a sermon and then I'll hear it in a song. And after a while, again, because it's me, God maybe does that five or six more times and then I get it. Oh, I should be listening to this. And when you are listening to the word of the Lord, remember this. That God does not speak to you in a condemning way. Romans 8 says this, for there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we sit and we listen to voices, so often they condemn us or they tell us the things that need to change or the things that we need to do to have life. God isn't that way. All the messages that we hear, oh, in all the messages that we hear, look for the one that calls you blessed and beloved. Look for the one that doesn't address you as you sinner, but as my child. Look for the one that says you are enough. Look for the one that calls you his child. Look for God's voice and listen to the one that's consistent with scripture. And never hesitate to talk with other Christians to make sure that you are hearing correctly. My friends, the pastors and elders here, we're here for you. As you read through the word of the Lord, if you hear something, or if you hear something in a sermon, or whatever that is, my friends, reach out to us, talk to us. We're both, I, I know Kurt and I especially, we're nerds. Like, I hope that's okay that I call them that. But we love to get into the word of scripture. We love to talk about this stuff. We want you to talk about this stuff with us. We want to help guide you as the Lord is giving you things, is speaking to you. And my friends, please reach out to us. As you go and open up the word of the Lord, as you start this process of abiding, know that this isn't just something I, I start on a Sunday morning and then we'll never talk to you guys about again. I want to make sure you know that I'm here for you and the other pastors and elders are here as well to help guide you and your small group, whoever it is. Do this as a community. This is not something that needs to be done alone. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is living and active. 
We thank you, God, that it isn't just a bunch of written words on a blank page, but God, that it is your word. Thank you, God, for speaking through your word, for bringing things up at certain times and, and telling us what you want us to hear. I pray for all of my friends here, God, as they work in this, as they abide in you, that, God, you would speak to them, maybe in ways they haven't heard before or ways they haven't heard in a long time. I pray, Lord, that your word would go forward, that it would do its work and that we would see its fruit. Pray all this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Stephen's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.